parables five parables so uh, quite a lot of potential content for for a half hour but the thing is we're going to look at it i think like christ would want us to look at it um, a lot of really well-intentioned commentators really stretch the life out of parables and it drives me crazy because jesus just taught the parables and he let us kind of use our imagination to see where it goes and so i don't want to like put my own interpretation of my own opinions about the parables onto you. I'd rather you just take them in and I'm going to, I'm going to teach them simply. And I think parables should be taught simply because it's Jesus teaching us simply and, and it's heavy content. We already talked about how deep and how heavy the content is. So it is, it isn't simplistic information. The parables refer to some pretty heavy things. Like for instance, remember last week we talked about the parable of the wheat or the tares in the wheats, you know, and how, wow, that's deep. That talks about God's judgment intensely. So the, so the stuff we're talking about is really serious, really deep stuff. But Jesus is just putting it out there. And he wants us to use our imagination to see what's going on. And, and today he's going to talk about what the kingdom of heaven is like. What is the kingdom of heaven like? That's what he's going to be teaching us with these parables um, this morning. So if we can have, uh, actually keep it, no, first slide. I think I, yeah, so review, which I just did right there, I think. Um, we had one parable already. It's the first parable, which is Matthew 13, 1 through 9. And it speaks about what happens when the word is sowed. Okay, and the word is, Jesus says, it's, it's the message of the kingdom of, of heaven. It's, it's the gospel, but more of the gospel. It's the good news. Well, it is the gospel. But specifically, it is the good news that, that God's kingdom is at him. Jesus is here. He has brought us salvation. He's brought us God's kingdom. He has restored us to God and his ways. Here, we as disciples can be God's or Christ's students, and we can follow, we can know God, we can be close to God, we can have a relationship to God, but this is the word that's being sowed, and it's an exciting thing, but it's received in different ways. Sometimes it's rejected. Ah, I don't want that stuff. Let's flat out. Sometimes it's received with joy, but quickly a falling away happens because the meaning of the words. That sounds good, but man, that's hard to live by. I don't want to do that. I don't want this, this, this pick up your cross and follow me business. That's just too hard for me to have. You, you fanatic Christians can have that, but I'm not going to have that, right? Then sometimes it, it's received, but the affairs of life have ripped off the growth of the seeds, and there is no real growth. Again, you know, things happen. You know, busy, crazy, hectic life, and the next thing you know, we don't allow God's word to, to touch us anymore and to impact us. We stop reading, we stop receiving, we stop allowing God to really touch and move us and grow us. Because we are disciples, which means students. We need to grow, we need to learn. And these are problems, these are issues that, that we need to not only be looking at others and saying they're just like this, but looking at ourselves and say, sometimes I'm just like this. Sometimes I don't let God's word touch me. Sometimes I don't let God's word influence me because I don't like what it means. I don't like the word because it interferes with my life, my busy, crazy, perfect life that I want God to get his will into. But don't you realize, don't we all realize that God's kingdom's all about his will. And he invites you to be a citizen, which means we need to surrender our will to his will. That's what we've done so far. 
Also, we did parable number two, which is Matthew 13, 24 to 43. The kingdom of heaven's like, and that's what we're dealing with just now, is like Jesus sowing disciples. Um, so we saw sowing, you know, the word, which is like the seeds. But also we see him sowing disciples. And the enemy sowing phonies. We talked about that last week. So for the protection of the wheat to the disciples, God does not immediately uproot the weed, the phonies or the tares. Instead, they grow together until the time of judgment where Christ and his angels will judge rebellious men. Next slide, please. At this point, and I am a little bit limited in time, but I wanted to do this because I want to get a feel for the parables as Jesus is teaching. And now bear in mind, this is Matthew, okay, documenting and remembering, and, 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 and his account is good, it compares fairly well to the other, you know, disciples' perspectives, considering that there was probably a gap in, from receiving and writing. So he's going a lot off of what he remembers. But I think he's, he made notes. He thought about things, and this, these things impacted him. So I think the accuracy here is not the issue. What we want to get at here when we read these parables is, is how they were received. Let's pretend like we were there with them and really get the context of how they were received so we can have a better idea of what Jesus is talking about when he's talking about the, the parables or the kingdom of heaven is like such and such. So I want to read through. We don't do this very often, but I actually want to just read through the Bible at this point. Read through from verse 31 to 52. Now, ideally, we should be starting in verse 24 or even before that, even in verse 1, because this is the whole chapter is about the parables. But because of time's sake, I wanted to give a nice little break. And I think the perfect way to, to break this is in, in verse 31. So let's read from 31 all the way down to 52 as he continues to teach us these parables. And try for yourself again, like I challenged you last week before, to try to make sense of these parables yourself. Because we'll find at the very end that when the disciples... And these disciples were fairly new following him, don't forget. They actually understood what he was talking about. So these things aren't crazy, hidden riddles. Like, when people want to make them sound like they're riddles. Oh, and they want to find a special hidden meaning into them. This, these disciples heard it, and they understood the simple message that was being communicated. So let's be disciples today, sit before Christ's you know, feet, and let, let them just say these things. So this is what he says, starting in verse 31. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree. So the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. Then he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. Wow, this is awesome. Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. Explain to us, Jesus. Let us know what's going on here. So he answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. And the weeds are pulled up, 
and burned in the fire. So it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Who has ears? Let him or her hear. Listen, pay attention. That's what Jesus is saying. Listen, even, even through squeaky doors and stuff. <laughs> Listen. So he goes on, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his, journey, in his joy, went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net. See, you guys getting pictures in your head, right? I mean, you got pictures of all kinds of stuff here. We've got pictures of seeds and the ground. This is very common stuff that, that, that these people at the time would receive. These very common, um, you know, people in this era, they, they, they would know these this, this agricultural references. You know, the, 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 like, especially the net, the fishing references. They know the seeds. They know these things. Treasures. Oh, yeah, who doesn't know what treasure is? Pearls. I mean, all these different things are valuable things. They understand. So it's a very simple to understand concepts. Once again, the kingdom of heaven, in verse 47, is like a net, like a fishing net, that was let down into the lake and caught all the kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore, and they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? And here's an important one. Have you understood these things, Jesus asked. And his disciples replied, yeah, we understand. There isn't hidden meaning that has yet to be fulfilled in their lifestyle, lifetime, whatever. Yeah, we, 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 we get what you're saying, Jesus. And he said to them, therefore, every teacher of the law who has been instructed about the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out the storeroom new treasures as well as old. So next slide, please, Stuart. Now we're going to break them down a little bit in the next 20 minutes, but just a wee bit because it doesn't need much. So the first parable in, in, that we, we're going to deal with today, the mustard seed one, which is found in verse 31 and 32, simply says this. He told them another parable. And again, the, the, what he's trying to teach us is about the kingdom of heaven, which is even from the Matthew 5, we start talking start talk about the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you, you know, who are poor in spirit. What? But we don't deserve the kingdom of heaven. We don't deserve God. We're we're just poor, miserable saps who don't have the education the rabbis have. We don't have the education and the, and the smarts. That we're, and plus, hey, I hate to say it, but we're stuck in our sin. We're miserable. Yeah, that's fine, you're miserable, but I got good news for you. The kingdom of heaven is yours. That's how he started. And here he is. Now he's going to talk about the kingdom of heaven. It's yours. Are, are you stuck in sin? Are you stuck in, in your confusion about what the Bible is all about and, and you know, what church to go to and who to follow, who to believe? That's fine. Just follow Jesus. Because that's what he says, here I am. Jesus says, and he's proved who he was through miracles and through his life and through his teaching and, and through prophecy. So that's the kingdom of heaven. But, but the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. It's a small, 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 small little thing that does amazing things. Which a man took and planted the field, though it is the smallest. When it grows, is the largest. Okay? So think about that. Simple thing. 
A large, small seed that grows the largest plant. Okay? God will use something really small to do something really big. That's pretty much the simple, <laughs> the simplest explanation of what Jesus is saying here is that. Guess who the small things are? You and me. He's going to use small things to do big things. Okay, look at his disciples, for instance. They were feeling pretty small because they, they probably felt like not really real disciples because after all, they're kind of too old to be disciples possibly. And, and plus they already gave it up and they're, you know, out working the, the, the family business. And, you know, they, they weren't really the top notch, you know, you know, Pharisee boys or Sadducee boys or whatever. They weren't the top notch guys. They were little. They had, we, we know they struggle with, with a lot of things, <laughs> lots of things. It's like we struggle with lots of things. But Jesus, first thing he said, well, here he talked about the kingdom of heaven and a couple elements. But here now he's going right into it. Listen, I'm using little things. I'm going to use the foolish things in the world to confound the wise. Yes, you can't do it. You're right. You're too small for this job. You're too little for this task. But I, because, because of God. And because the power of God and his Holy Spirit, he will empower little things to do big things. Boom. Now, I'm adding a lot to it. I apologize for that. But that's me being preachy. But you get the simple message. Little things, going to do big things. Okay? Faith, for example, is a little simple thing. It is. Faith is easy. Again, teaching, giving the gospel to a, to a child is, is, is not only possible, but it's our responsibility as adults. Okay? They can understand the gospel. What is the gospel? What's the, what's the heart of the gospel? Faith. Faith in Christ, right? There's a lot more details you can add to it, but it's through faith. Why? Because faith is so easy. But our stubbornness re- refuses to, to give it up to Jesus. That's the simple thing. that. Faith is easy. The only thing that stops is our stubborn, disobedient hearts. Okay, Matthew 17, 20 talks about faith and how it's so small, so simple. In reference to the disciples, they're actually trying to exercise a demon-possessed boy, okay? But they were failing miserably. It was, it was ugly. Jesus came down, and, he, um, and his disciples were like, why couldn't we do it? And Jesus just like, said, demon out, and demon's out. Simple as that. And the disciples were shaking their heads, and they're just, what? what's going on here? Why come we couldn't do it? And this is his answer. Because you have so little faith. Now, the word little faith, actually, it only exists here in the Greek. I spent ages looking at my lexicons and looking in all the different resources I had to find out what this means and, and look for a comparative word. Little faith was so hard to find. I think Jesus engineered this word just to describe how little their faith was. <laughs> Basically, it really means no faith at all or distrust even. It's almost an antithesis. It's almost like he was being poetic and being silly. It's like because you totally have no faith. You're distrusting in God. That's the reason why. You know, and so you think, what were they trusting in then if they weren't trusting in God? Okay? So truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed. So it isn't the amount of faith, obviously, because he's talking about how small is required. It, to me, it's, it's almost a, a yes or no kind of situation. Do you have faith? Yes or no? I don't care how much faith you have. In fact, I don't even want to measure faith because that seems silly to me. Because if, if it requires just the smallest amount to do something like, what, move a mountain? Then faith has nothing to do with quantity has to do with do you have it or not simple as that so again small things like faith is a part of what god's kingdom is like next slide please yeast another very small simple thing yeast 
If you, if, you, if you brew beer or bread or anything like that, you'll know how powerful yeast is. A little bit of it can do wonderful things to a recipe. Little things. Again, still in context, little things. Another small thing, yeast. Matthew 13, says this. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour. So huge, huge um, you know, batch of bread she's going to make here. And she took a bit of yeast because she knows the yeast will penetrate. It'll work all the way through the whole dough. Again, very common pictures, very common things that they would understand. They would have a picture in their mind, something like what a mustard seed is like. They would have in their mind something about how a woman might be making bread. Now they might, she might use a, a little teaspoon, possibly, of yeast there to saturate the whole dough. Okay, so what's the simple message here? God's will. Kingdom of Heaven is about God's will. It will penetrate and saturate. Okay, in time, okay, in time, that's the thing about yeast. You gotta wait sometimes for yeast. That's, if you work with yeast, you realize you have to let it sit. Okay, so you might not see immediate results and you might be a little bit disappointed, but cheer up. And that's the beautiful thing about him talking about yeast because we know yeast takes time. But in time, once the process happens, and the, thing, the thing about yeast is you can't un-yeast it. Once it's been yeasted, it's yeasted. <laughs> so once God gets through, once his will penetrates, once it saturates, it can't be stopped. So there's some simple, I mean, we could read more things into it, but I'm trying to be as simple as possible, my interpretation, because I want to just receive as Jesus, the disciples received it. So going on, Matthew 13, 34 says this, Jesus spoke all these things to the crowds in parables, illustrations, basically. He did not say anything to them without using an illustration or a parable. So was fulfilled. Again, nothing Jesus did in his whole life is he fulfills, 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 fulfills. Jesus is the Messiah. His life and every aspect fulfills the Messiah requirements via the Old Testament, okay? So once again, even these speaking of illustrations, parables, verifies to the world, including us, that indeed Jesus is the anointed one, the Messiah. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. Now here's some insight. Parables. What are parables? They're going to teach us something that we can't be taught on our own, basically, through normal observation. Okay? I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. He's talking about spiritual things. But when I say spiritual things, I'm not talking about unrealistic things. I'm not talking about fake things or phony things. I'm the spiritual world. Spiritual things are just as real and just as powerful and just as much matter to our daily regular life as anything else. So we, with our physical you know, attributes like sight and hearing, I call observation, you know, the ways that we get to know around the world around us. Hard for us to do this. We need to be spiritually open and, and we frankly need to be spiritually born again. You know what I'm saying? We need to be spiritually born again so we can see and we can hear spiritual things. So we need to submit to Christ and his, his offer to be born again, to be offered, his, his offer to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We need to be open to that and say, God, yeah, give me the Holy Spirit so we can see some of these things. But, so he's teaching, like we said before, tuned in people, people who already have a touch by the Holy Spirit. Even though the Pentecost hasn't yet happened, God's Spirit was still interacting with people, okay? God's Holy Spirit always interacts with people. It was different after Pentecost because of the cleansing of our sins inside, but he was always there interacting. So here is the Holy Spirit interacting. And he's like, I'm gonna teach you these things. And, and, and these parables are meant to teach us things. 
already in our mind from just dealing with the, the two parables that we've already dealt with today. I think we already have an understanding of what Jesus is trying to say about the kingdom of heaven, right? And even looking retrospectively, because we have the benefit of being the 21st century, we can look back and see how the church has grown, to see how God's used little things to do mighty things. That should totally inspire our faith today when we go through trials and tribulations. Look at what God has done. Look what he continues to do. It's a no-brainer. Why do we stress? Why do we have anxiety in the 21st century? It's the year of technology. It's a year of anxiety and stress. Well, not for Christians. At least it shouldn't be, right? Because we, we have the, the privy of technology look back in history and see what God has done, how he's rocked the world through the, through the last 2,000 years. He's done a lot of things as well as penetrating and saturating the world around us. Matt, um, this is a quote from Psalm, just to add that in. Uh, and again, you know, Matthew 13, um, 11, this is, we've already dealt with this. I want to remind us of this as well. Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you. Again, how awesome is that? God wants to teach us. Christ wants to teach us some amazing things. Let us submit to him as he teaches us. He's teaching us some pretty heavy-duty stuff. And so, here's another one that's has been interpreted a lot of fun ways, a lot of exciting ways, a lot of good, interesting kind of ways, but also a lot of dodgy ways. And I don't want to get into, I mean, some actually are decent, but I'm not going to go into them. I want to go into, again to the very simple interpretation. Very simple. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought the field. Now again, these are disciples hearing these things. So even though I, some of my favorite Bible teachers will want to say that this maybe is Israel, it's, it's kind of hard to say that because even though I, I would say, yeah, that's, that's a good interpretation. That's a proper interpretation. I like it because, again, we can see the, how Israel can fit in that because Jesus came for Israel, but Israel rejected him, so he put him away for a while, I and mean, he'll deal with them in the end times. You know? Okay, I, I, I like the interpretation. But don't forget, this was understood right away, and Israel was an issue. As far as they're concerned, Israel was going to be rescued. So like, yeah. So the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it and hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought the field. Now for he's teaching them. He's trying to inspire them to, to, to be, to, to give, to, the kingdom of heaven is worth it. It's valuable. It's important. It's worth selling everything for. It's worth leaving. Remember the disciple, the whippy disciple came up to him and said, I will follow you, Jesus. And what do you say to him? Go and sell everything you have and follow me. And the guy went away sad. I think this is what this is talking about. Yeah, some will disagree with me, and you guys might disagree with me as well, but I think that's the simplest explanation of this. And again, he repeats himself. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant look for fine pearls. Again, good Bible commentators have said that this is, because it's a pearl, and pearls are, are valueless to the Jews at the time, but they were loved by the Gentiles, or the Greeks, that it was, it was a treasure for the Greeks. And, so, um, and so, 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 so this is basically a symbolic of Jesus chasing after the, the Gentile church. And I'm cool with that. I'm very cool with that. I think that's actually true. However, let's just, let's just simplify this even more and say God treasures the kingdom of heaven. And he will do anything for us. He will send a son down the cross for us. God treasures the kingdom of heaven. He loves Israel. He loves Gentiles. He loves all people. He has given Every person, Jew and Gentile alike, the Son of God, the Christ to die on the cross for him. So yes, Jesus values the kingdom of heaven. It is a treasure hidden in a field. It is a pearl of great value. Yes. 
but so should we value it. And I think that's what he's trying to say. God values the kingdom of heaven. We value the kingdom of heaven. So I think he's trying to build hunger into us that if God's going to pay the finest price for the kingdom of heaven, then surely we should pay the finest price in a sense of what are we willing to give? What are we willing to commit? Now, bear in mind, I'm not asking us to all be martyrs. And I'm not saying that you can qualify for heaven by being a martyr because the price can only be paid by the Son of Christ or Son of God, Jesus Christ. That's the only way the price we paid. But what we do is we come to him and say, here's my cross, I'm following you. Here I am, I'm, I've counted the cost of discipleship. I will follow you, I want to give you all things. I have sold everything to follow you. That's, I think, the attitude he wants from us. And he wants us to assure us that it's worth it. Hey guys, nothing you have that you can lose is worth keeping over the kingdom of heaven. Just, just an FYI, the kingdom of heaven is much more valuable than anything you have. That's just, that's just it. Okay, And I think that's what Jesus is kind of reminding us of. If it's worth it for Jesus to come to die on the cross, it's worth us to, to drop what we're doing to follow him. The kingdom of heaven is the most valuable treasure ever. What are you willing to give up for his will, for his kingdom? I think that's the simplest. Even though there are good interpretations, that's the simplest one. The net. Matthew 13, 47, once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake. Now, bear in mind, I want to apologize for this because we've already skipped over the explanation of the, the, the parable of the wheat or the tares and the wheat, right? And, and there's a lot of judgment in that. And there's going to be some judgment in this one as well because he's continuing that, that, that thread. With the kingdom of heaven, it's going to grow. It's going to be amazing, powerful, la, 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 la. It's amazing, valuable, great. But you have to make a choice because God has to deal with sin. He has to deal with evil or else heaven's not really heaven. You can't have heaven and have sin and evil. So we have to, God has to clean up the house. So once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. And then Jesus offers an explanation. The, the disciples didn't ask for an explanation, but Jesus offers an explanation. And I'm kind of glad for that. This is how it will be at the end of the ages, or the age. And we already dealt with what that means, the end of the age, last week. He's repeating himself here, you know. And we believe this is the end when Christ comes for his, his return, the second coming of Christ. When he comes to establish the kingdom, to fulfill in its completion the kingdom. Right now the work is happening. But there's going to be a time where Jesus says, okay, it's time to deal with, 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 with the rebellion of humankind. It's time to finally put an end to it. He's dealt with it on the cross, but there are many who have received the cross that need to receive judgment. So that time is what he's talking about here. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous. Yes, this is hard pill to swallow. Like I said last week, it's hard pill to swallow, but if we can't turn our heads and pretend like it doesn't exist. I don't like cancer. I don't like child abuse. I don't like other horrible things. But they're real, and we have to deal with it. Same with this. So again, you know, the angels, Anglios, we talked about that last week, messengers, envoy, one sent you know, by God, a messenger of God, will come and separate the wicked. Wicked, we dealt with that before. Poneros, full of labors, annoyances, hardship, in a physical sense, disease, blindness. In an ethical sense, evil, wicked, or bad. Heaven can't have these things. Heaven's free of labor. It's free of annoyances. It's free of hardships. It's free of disease and blindness. It's free of evil and wickedness. Okay. So there needs to be a separation. Just like a fisherman, when he pulls a fish, will separate the good from the bad. So will God in the end of the age, from the wicked and the righteous. Righteous, 
The word, we've used the word daikasune before. It talks about the pursuit of what being, I want to be right with God. How does a person become right with God? That's a big issue Jesus has been dealing with, with the gospel. And here's the righteous. This is the word that comes from daikasune, or, or derivative of the word, you know, daikaios, which is righteous, approved of or acceptable of God. We want to be accepted of God. We want to be approved by God, right? This is, this is how his disciples were. People who are looking and listening to Jesus, they, how do I become right by God? How do, I, how do I become righteous? And he goes, there's going to be a separating between those who don't want to be right by God and those who do want to be right by God. And the separation, the wicked thrown into a blazing furnace. Again, a furnace, a smelting, smelt, smelting, burning, or baking furnace used by Christ twice, both times in these initial parabolic lessons. So in, in, in Matthew 13, he's already used this twice. Okay, so he's trying to make a point here. And, and that's the only time it's ever been used is actually here in Matthew 13, this idea of blazing furnace. But it's also seen in Revelation um, 1.15 and Revelation 9.2. In Revelation 9.2, it's referred to as the abyss that Satan and the beast and these evil agents are going to be tossed into. So it is attached to judgment, and it's not a nice thing. We don't want to talk about it, we don't want to think about it, but it's a real thing. And then where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now this is a phrase, weeping and gnashing, that Jesus uses a lot. So he's not making a mistake here. He's not being a bit harsh because he's caught up in the moment. This is a very serious issue that Jesus is trying to get at. And in a way, another way we can interpret weeping and gnashing of teeth is lamentations, extreme anguish and utter despair of men consigned to eternal punishment in hell. This is, again, no mistake. Jesus uses this phrase six times in Matthew and once in Luke. Okay? It's sad. This is difficult. This is hard stuff. But this is Jesus talking about the kingdom of heaven, what it's like. This is real issue. This is things that we need to get to in the next slide. So what we have here is I call the, the circle of Christian life. And the reason why I call it a circle is it ends with how it begins, begins how it ends. Watch this. And this is what Jesus has been teaching us. Okay? First of all, he says, have you understood these things to his disciples? And what do the disciples say? <laughs> yeah, we get it. It's heavy duty stuff. It's powerful stuff. But yeah, we, we get it. We understand. What have they understood? What are they getting then? This is what they're getting. Number one, the word of Christ, the gospel, must reach understanding years to produce lasting results. Number one. Number two, there are people sent by the evil one, sent to trip us up, sent to distract us like wind and noise and everything else. They will be allowed to exist among us, but will be judged according to the rebellion at Christ's return. Okay, this is already what we've seen in these parables. Number three, the third parable, God uses little people like us. Like his disciples, the initial ones, the original ones, in the beginning, right? To begin, bring forth his will and his kingdom. Big things will happen. This is what they're understanding. This, this is what these parables are all about. Number four, again, using small people. God's kingdom will saturate the very fabric of our society. It will change the world forever. This is the, these are things that, that, that I think Jesus is teaching, these parables. Number five, the kingdom of heaven is of ultimate value. Nothing else compares. Number six, in the end, God's messengers will separate those who belong to God's kingdom from those who have rejected his offer of citizenship. The outcome for the righteous is glorious. And we talked with that more last week. And the outcome of the rebellious is devastating. So the reason why I say it's a circle is because at the end, 
okay, this might be the end of a person's life. Okay, we live as a Christian, we die, and we have God's glorious, you know, heaven, you know. But if we die without Christ, it's devastating. But this should compel us to repeat one. So we get through these six as disciples, and we go out, and we realize number one is very important. If number six is true, then we need to return to one. If six is true, that the kingdom of heaven is for God's glorious righteous ones, or, or God's kingdom is for the righteous ones, rather. We may be glorious, others maybe not. But yet there's a hell for those who rebel against, and it's devastating. Then we need to return to one immediately and get the word out. You see how it's a cycle? So we go through this and say, this is all true. But then we need to get back, because even though there are many out there who will reject the word of God, we still need to give the word of God, because I don't want anyone going to hell. I don't want anyone to, to be devastated in this fiery furnace. I want everyone to hear the words, to receive the word, and to have eternal life. And then, of course, that person, I believe, will, will experience these things. Yeah, you're a little person. God's going to use you. God's doing amazing things around us. Recognize it, acknowledge it, just, and value God's kingdom as the ultimate value. And then they'll come to the very bottom and realize, well, I've got a place in heaven. But there will be many who don't have a place in heaven. And they're going to be compelled to go back to one and preach the word. This is what Christianity, this is what Jesus was talking about when he said, go out and make disciples, baptizing, immersing them in God's kingdom. And the power of the Son, you know, the Father, and the Holy Spirit. So this is what I call the basic circle of Christian life. And I've got one slide, and I'll blow right through it because it's pretty simple. Here, good news for old school religious types. Matthew 13, 42, or 52, rather. He said to them, Therefore, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like an owner of a house who brings out his storeroom New treasures as well as old. So he's talking about the teachers of the law, the, the Pharisees, the, and the other people who, who have submitted to Christ. You see, you have to submit to Christ. But the old way, and he's not saying the old way is bad. He said there's many teachers of the law, many teachers of, 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 of the religion of the time who have the opportunity to fulfill. You know what I'm saying? They need to fulfill, though, because Jesus came to fulfill. So he's talking about every teacher of the law who has become a disciple. So he's not talking about just teachers of laws, but the teachers of the law who has become disciples in the kingdom of heaven. They have a blessing. They're like an owner of a house who brings out of a storeroom new treasures and old. So we see the wealth of wisdom of the old, learned from all the Old Testament training and disciplines. Hey, the, the, before Jesus, the, the system of, of being a rabbi and being a, a good, learned Jewish boy or girl, you know, a lot of study of the word, a lot of study, a lot of intense memorization. That's good stuff. Why? Because it's still God's word. Old news, hey, it's all God's word, and that's what it says here. I mean, for instance, if you jump down to 2 Timothy, all scripture, old and new, is God-breathed. It's used for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So good, you memorized the law. But now let's apply it to what Jesus has done. And that's what I think Matthew 5, 17 comes in. Don't think that I have come, this is of course Jesus speaking, to abolish the law. He didn't come to abolish the law of the prophets. He didn't come to say it's all bad. It's all a waste of God's time. No, he didn't come to abolish it. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them, to complete them. All of them point to Jesus, okay? And when Jesus looks back at it, he shows us how it's all about him anyways. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter 
not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. <laughs> 